Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2331. Today, we're visiting a museum that's just down the street from where I live. They have a new director we're going to meet, so be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah! Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm just down the road from my house visiting a wonderful place that I know all too well. I'm in Tacoma, Washington with a very special guest by the name of Gary Yamamoto. Gary, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have any gear and are you ready to release the clutch? I am, Mark. I'm so glad to be talking to you. We're going to have some fun here today, especially since you're my hometown museum. Now, before I introduce you and we dive into what's going on there at LeMay, America's Car Museum, what's one little thing that people don't know about you, Gary? Well, I love to cook. Ah. It relaxes me after a busy day and, you know, it lets me also be creative. I like to experiment with flavors. My uh, poor partner, Karen, has to always be my flavor guinea pig. But <laughs> I think for the most part, I, I, I do an okay job. Well, you know what? If you were talking to my wife, she would say, hey, a guy that comes home and cooks, I'll take him. I don't care what he makes. <laughs> That's a deal. So, so what's for dinner tonight? Actually, uh, pork tenderloin, Lipton rice, and cabbage salad. All right. I'll be there. Sounds like a way to go. I'll have a spot for you. All right. I appreciate that. Let me introduce you, and we're going to dive into what you're doing there. Gary Yamamoto is the executive director for the LeMay, America's Car Museum, and vice president at America's Automotive Trust. Gary has over 30 years of experience helping private, nonprofit, and public sector organizations successfully manage high-growth opportunities. Prior to joining America's Car Museum, and the trust, Gary was chief operating officer for the Wing Luke Museum. It's the only pan-Asian museum in the nation. His love for cars provided the perfect next step in his career. And he got that love for cars from his father, Craig, who was a future car designer for Ford in the late 60s and early 70s. How cool is that? Gary is a recipient of the Dale Carnegie's Highest Achievement Award. He coached Liberty High School boys soccer team, transforming a last-place team into the Washington State Boys AA Soccer Champions in just two short years, and that earned him the AA Boys Soccer Coach of the Year Award. Gary's a direct samurai descendant and, in his spare time, enjoys playing soccer and golf and cooking. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors, so give them a little love, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. 
That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. Want to hear something crazy? Veterans work on billions of dollars of vehicles, planes, and engines while deployed, but they can't touch our car until they've obtained a certification and training requirements for employment back here at home. That's crazy. Dick Force Foundation Military Transition Fund provides scholarships and grants so our veterans can transition to great careers following their service for this great country. Support Tech Force. Support Tech Force a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, and its workforce development efforts for our veterans by donating at techforce.org today. So Gary, uh, we are back, but what I want to do before we dive into what's happening at the museum these days is I want you to take us on a little bit of ride of your career that led you to landing at LeMay. And I'll remind our listeners, I got to meet Gary back in February. I was the MC at one of their new exhibits that's going on right now. And uh, we got to meet, got to learn a little bit about him, but there were so many people there, I didn't get to talk to you for as long as I, I wanted to. So I'm glad we're able to finally connect. Give us a little lead up into how you landed at LeMay and what you did before. Sure. And Mark, thank you so much for uh, helping us with open our Porsche exhibit, it turned out to be a huge success. So a large part to your help there. So thank you. Well, I appreciate the honor. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, my, before, like I said, in my, uh, you mentioned, uh, I worked for the Wing Luke Museum for the previous 10 years. And uh, what was exciting about that opportunity was, and why I joined the organization, they were getting ready to launch a Bruce Lee exhibit. And so I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. And so being able to work with the family and create that exhibit was something that was super interesting. So I joined up there and ended up staying for 10 years. Bruce Lee. Now, this is interesting. Bruce Lee had some great quotes. I remember one that had to do with be like water, I believe it was, mm-hmm. or flowing. But mm-hmm. what is it about Bruce Lee that enamors you so much? Well, you know, if you think about it, before Bruce Lee came along, a lot of Asians and media, TV, that film were viewed as servants, mm. right, in mm. very uh, subatorial roles. And Bruce Lee came along and changed that. You know, he came along and, and all of a sudden he was looked at as a hero. When he uh, got his role in the movies, he was first cast as a second and then ended up being equals when the show ended. So, you know, from uh, my standpoint, being of Asian ethnicity, you know, he was like a role model for me when I was growing up. And it was funny because even in high school, 
my fellow friends used to give me the nickname Bruce. Oh, how cool is that? <laughs> yeah, so that was super cool. I stood tall when I, you know, when people called me that for sure. Well, yeah, and coming from a samurai descendant a place in your life, in your past, that's quite interesting. How did you learn about that? Well, so my great, 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 great grandfather on my dad's side was a samurai. Wow. And his his wife was, a lady in waiting to the lady in waiting. So, you know, it's it's something I take great pride in because, you know, the the samurai philosophies uh, are really strongly rooted in achieving excellence and having uh, loyalty and conviction. And so those are qualities that I've tried to embody in my in my life. Wow. What a wonderful uh, history in your family. That's that's really fascinating. That's very cool. Well, the LeMay Museum is an interesting stepping stone, but I, in, I mentioned in your intro that your father worked for Ford, and I've had some designers that worked for General Motors back in that same, same time period. Uh, two of them, one a lady, uh, were working in the future car design world, and they told me some wonderful things about what was happening there. But do you remember those days of your dad going to work and talking a little bit about some of the wild cars they were designing? Oh, yeah, and I actually have right here on my desk some of his drawings of the cars he designed. Oh, wow. So it was pretty amazing. The cars that he and his uh, fellow designers were drawing look a lot like the cars today. Oh, really? And so you, wow. if you think about back in the late 60s to have that vision, it's pretty phenomenal. And so, but the challenge my dad said was is that uh, at Ford, at least, they told him, specifically that his cars were too out there. Oh, they're not yeah. going to happen, right? And uh -huh. so after a while, he said, why am I doing this if they're never going to happen? And so that's why he left. Oh, I see. One story from when he was there was cool. He was able to bring home a Shelby Cobra. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I know. I know at that time. So uh, the designers uh, were allowed to, to, to bring it home. So he quickly... Uh, ran in the house and said, come on, come on out. I only have the car for half an hour. Oh, my gosh. And he grabbed the camera, and, and my mom goes, "I don't. we don't have a camera. Yeah. We, so he was so mad. Oh, my uh, gosh. How exciting that is. Well, I was going to ask you this question later, but you made a nice segue, so I'm going to move it into our talk right here. If the museum let you drive a different car home every night, what would be maybe just a few of the vehicles you would select? Oh, wow. You know, there's so many I, I know. <laughs> incredible cars here. That'd be hard to do. But my, my favorite car here at the museum is our 1948 Tucker. Oh, of course. It's, you know, and it's so funny because I really thought I liked new cars, right? Cutting edge cars. But this car, something about it just speaks to me. Yeah. It's a beautiful blue color. It's got a helicopter engine in it, suicide doors and three headlights, you know. So it's definitely a head turner. Yeah, it's one of the shining gems there at LeMay. And I, I believe I mentioned to you my relationship with the, the uh, LeMays, both Harold and Nancy, goes back 30 years when I moved here. I was fortunate enough to meet both of them. And our first offices when I first moved here with a startup company were in Fife. So we were just down the road. This is long before the museum was built. Got to have lunch with them out at their house, uh, visit Marymount, that museum out there. And remember them talking about the idea of a museum one day in Tacoma. That was really Harold's dream. Of course, sadly, he passed away before that happened, but we still have Nancy. And that kind of leads me up to the fact that 
we just celebrated the 10th anniversary yes. of the museum. So you're coming at a time for the next decade. What are some of your visions for the years ahead? Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, you know, a couple of things we're working on here at the museum is we're trying to showcase the cars in a more attractive way. So how a lot of the cars were showcased here were just the front ends of them. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the cars, the rear end uh, tails are what was what made that car attractive and exciting. Right. Um, so again, we're trying to do that group cars into uh, groups so you can see the progression of the car's design over a period of time. One of the things we're really proud of is we're working on a project called Stories from Behind the Wheel. And what this is, is we're trying to gather stories about the car, personal stories from either the owner or someone who owned a car very similar and share those with our guests who come in the museum. So it allows them to to learn more about that car and have a stronger connection to them because they're all beautiful cars. But when they hear like, well, this car was owned by the woman who designed the hair, the curling iron. Mm-hmm. Say, wow, that's cool. Or we have a car here that one family owned. That's that's the only car they ever owned. Oh my gosh! The whole and they until they were ninety years old. Oh and my then gosh! They wow. Donated it to the museum. So these are stories that when people hear about them, you know, or we got some um, older cars here. Uh, one Lincoln that is the first car that went over the Tacoma's Bridge, all three of them. That's a, an amazing story that people hopefully can walk away with and say that, you know, that car is even more amazing now that I've heard the story. Yeah. Yeah, the stories are so important. You mentioned those cars going over the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Was that the first bridge, the one that ended up not lasting very long? All of them. The all first of them. car to go over all of them. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, that's cool. That makes the story yeah. even more fun. Yes. For listeners today that have not had the privilege and, and joy of visiting the museum, can you explain a little bit of how this museum is set up? Because it's very unique in its design. Yeah. Well, the design itself causes a lot of conversation because, you know, it's unique shape. So people say, is that, what is that? Is that a hood cowl? Is that a, <laughs> a rear fender? And it's not meant to be either, but it creates that conversation. But it does have that automotive kind of feel and look. But the museum is a lot bigger than people ever anticipate Mm -hmm. because people walk in and say, I I thought it was just one level, but it's actually four levels um, that are almost football size. We have 165,000 square feet of cars. We're, I believe, the second largest uh, car museum in the nation, second only to the Gilmore Museum. We have over 250 cars from our own collection. Plus, we have an additional 80 to 100 cars on loan from other collectors. So the way the museum set up is the first floor is what we call our showcase gallery, which shows uh, specific exhibits that rotate. So like you mentioned, um, in the south half of the showcase exhibit, we have the Porsche 75th anniversary exhibit. And then in the north end, we currently have the special LeMay collection that is being featured, which in October is going to be change to a Corvette exhibit. Cool. And the way this thing is set up, I was going to say that it's kind of like walking up and down ramps 
in a parking mm-hmm. garage, kind of, sort of. But as you start going down and back and around and back, it's almost easy to get lost in there. Go, wait, have I been here? What? Oh, I've seen that car before. Because it seems to just keep going and going and going. Yeah, it's a double helix design. So you can walk all the way down one side and then walk back up the other. And it's meant for people to be able to to do that, to enjoy the whole museum. But mm-hmm. You know, in, in the bottom floors, we have, you know, a speed zone where we have simulators. People can pretend like they're race car drivers. we got a family zone for families where there's interactive for young kids. So there's lots to see in the ramps. We have a, a, a master collector ramp, which is a collector we choose every year. They get to feature their cars uh, in that ramp. We also have a NASCAR ramp and a British ramp. So there's a lot for people to come and see. And one of the things going forward, in addition to stories, is we're looking to change those exhibits more often. Oh, so cool. you know, people can come back and see more uh, cars, more of these amazing cars that we have available. Yeah, it's a, I think that's a great idea. It's very cool. One of the things that is very important to all museums, and I've had lots and lots of museums curators and directors on the show, is volunteers. And I want to mention that and have you talk a little bit about it because my neighbor literally across the street, I look at his house right out my window, Bruce, um, he's been a, mu- a volunteer there at the museum for a long time. I know you guys in the summer times and spring, you have driving uh, out at the uh, the lawn out there where you bring cars out and people can come and take rides in cars. And he's been the driver for some of those. Volunteerism is so important. How is it important from your perspective? Oh, it's uh, critical for the museum. We have an amazing group of volunteers that have an incredible amount of knowledge. It's they amaze me every day that I get a chance to talk to them. Their knowledge about all the specific cars that we have in the museum, which really helps people enjoy their visit. Because especially if they get take advantage of one of the docent tours, then people get to get that input that they can't get anywhere else. And not only do they do tours, but like I said, uh, we have the Take a Spin program, which happens during the summer, where people get to go out and ride in these cars around our uh, showcase field. And we also have volunteers who help repair and fix our cars in our collection. Right. you got a, a shop down at the bottom there where they can work. Yeah, full shop. And they, they, that's where they do most of the work to keep these cars up and running. And it's really exciting to see them. And again, they roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty and get the car fixed. Yeah, it's very cool. Another thing that you do there at the museum is you have a lot of different events. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, well, you know, just the sheer design, unique design of the event creates a lot of interest. Plus, if you're ever in the museum or, you know, as you know, Mark, the view out of the north end. Oh, it's wonderful. Amazing. Looking out on the, the, the bay there couldn't ask for a better view and especially as the evening and sunset comes in but yeah we have anything from corporate events to weddings to birthday parties um you name it we got them here and people can you know call our events people and uh inquire about what what it would take to get their event happen at the museum the other part of it is people can join the museum and support it in that way right yeah uh, membership is as you know to the museums are very important. We'd like to be able to continue to grow our membership level. We actually have three different membership levels. We have our general membership level, which is you know individual, family, 
levels. As, you know, anybody can sign up for those. We have a club auto level, which is for more of the car enthusiasts, a little bit higher donation for that level. And then we have our, our upper level, which is our concourse club, which is our high donor membership level. But in each of those areas, there's a whole bunch of benefits that people can take advantage of. For example, in the summer, we have drive-in movies on our showcase field. That's right. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. So mem- members get to come down to those and be able to take advantage of those for free. So yeah, membership is an uh, integral part of our operations. And we're always trying to find ways to really provide extra benefits for our members. Very cool. I know your presenting sponsor who's been supporting you guys, I think since the beginning, is State Farm Insurance. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, it's great to have them as as a partner. They've been very, very involved. And, you know, it's nice to see. Because a museum like ours needs critical sponsors like that. Well, absolutely. Uh, for you uh, listeners, you can go to the website, which is americascarmuseum.org, and you can click on the sponsors and see all the supporting sponsors and sustaining partners, official providers and preferred providers and so forth. All these people are so important to a museum to to make it continue, make it grow, and, and help it be vital. And I know out in the front of the museum, you have a really nice, uh, I call it a landing pad, but it's the front porch, I guess, to the museum. And many times you'll have special events where cars will park out there uh, during the Porsche 75th anniversary grand opening. It was just full of Porsches, which was fun, as was the driveway. So there's always something happening at the museum. And I encourage you listeners, if you're going to be in the Pacific Northwest, you've got to check it out. Uh, just about... I think you guys are 45 minutes or so south of Seattle. Is that right? Yes. Yes. It's actually pretty quick. I live in Renton and it takes me 35 minutes to get here. So really very, close. very convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, to your point, yes, we have uh, actually bringing back this year some cruising events. So have people go to the website to check out when we're having those. It allows people with just cool cars to come down, park their car in the plaza and get to share their cars and communicate with other car collectors or you don't even have to be a collector you can just be someone with an awesome car yeah those are fun i've been invited to be an MC at those events and they're great and despite what the rest of the nation may think the rain does stop uh late spring and summertime and even the fall around here so we do get some times where the cars can stay dry you can bring a picnic sit out with the family bring kids and have fun uh those are great events they're very casual laid back, uh, but really fun to attend. I'd like to ask my guests about what I call our driving inspirations, people that have been very influential in your life, perhaps in this sense, in the car world, but it could really be anything with your career or your life. Is there somebody like that for you? Well, the, the, the person in the car world would be my father, you know, again, having worked for Ford. One of them that's uh, I really and proud to have said it was a mentor for me is was Blake Nordstrom. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I got the opportunity to work for him and with him when I was at Nordstrom. And he really opened my eyes to the importance of looking at the little things, the focusing on customer service, um, and the importance of making the time and effort to get to really know your team beyond who they are at work. You know, one example of how amazing he was that I, I remember to this day is, and we had a really large quarterly meeting when I was there. And, you know, it's Nordstrom's a big company. So there are probably over 200 people in the room. As Blake walked in to the room, he stopped and shake hands with a number of people. 
And every one of them, he addressed by their first name. Oh, wow. That's impressive. It was amazing. I mean, he's just walking and introducing and, and shaking their hands. And it's something little, but those people, to those people, it's huge to see that they were important enough that he remembered their name. Yeah. My daughter's worked for Nursum, I believe, for 10 years now. And, um, oh, great. Yeah, has said uh, very much very much the same thing. So, uh, yeah, in fact, back in the days when I was going into an office and working, and I had to actually kind of dress up a little bit, if you will, even going way back to the days of suits and ties, my first career as an advertising executive, uh, Nursum was the only store I ever shopped at. Uh, I always bought everything there, and that was because of their uh, back then very liberal return policy, which I'm proud to say I only took advantage of once. I know a lot of people took <laughs> advantage of Nordstrom, and they had to kind of change their uh, ideas for a while. I went through that with the company I used to be a part of. I just always liked the people there. They were always nice. They remembered you. So uh, great brand, and great to have a person like that as a mentor in your life. I'd love for you to share a challenge, and this really is a question more about what that difficult challenge taught you so you could look back on it now and say, yeah, I'm kind of glad I had to go through that. Taught me a really valuable lesson. Is there a story like that in your life? Well, I think the the, the biggest one that uh, challenge I had was the one you mentioned in my intro, which was uh, being the coach at Liberty High School. Mm. You know, it was it, the team, you know, like you mentioned, only won one game the year before. The coach that they had uh, hired realized he was over his head, so he quit one week into practice. Oh, no. Yeah, and so the school was stuck and didn't know what to do. So I coached some of the players in the youth leagues. So the, some of the parents convinced the, the athletic director to hire me. And at that time, I was the youngest person to ever coach in the state of Washington. I was 22 years old. Oh, my gosh. And I was also also the first non-teacher to mm. coach. Mm-hmm. In the past, you had to be a teacher to coach. But I think because they were they were in a bind, <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they took advantage. It really helped me. Because I quickly assessed what talent we had, and I, you know, felt the need to put the right people in the right places. I found it was important to find fun ways to for this group to build their skills, strengths, stamina, teamwork, and then also provide a vision for them on what they could accomplish. You know, if they work together, and I, I use those today. That's the foundation for my management style. Because the carryover, if you do those same things in your work environment, then you're going to be successful. And one of the innovative things that we did was I had five high school girls who wanted to be our team managers. Well, they were aerobics teachers. And so I thought, hmm, I'm going to ask them to do an opening aerobic and strength plan for every practice. And they loved it. So they, they created one. And, you know, nothing motivates young men. Like being possibly <laughs> outperformed and outshined yeah. by young women, right? Yeah, well, so you are brilliant. <laughs> so they were working their butts off. Yep. And, you know, we were in great shape and had hardly any injuries, you know, so we were able to really come together, have fun. And, you know, all the other high school teams were laughing at us because we were doing aerobics. And, <laughs> you know, the funny thing was, is after we won the state championship, who was doing those aerobics? Everybody. <laughs> All those other team, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know, there's that saying that most people leave jobs not because of the pay or the position. It's because of their bosses, either managers or senior level people, because they have never really brought the group together as a team. And it's all led by the top, micromanaging, all those kinds of things. So uh, brilliant that you did that into your career. I think it's so important for people to feel like they're part of something, right? 
Right, right. I mean, another thing too, when I was coaching, I was playing soccer. So I just, I strapped on my shoes and was out there practicing with them. And I, I, you know, I still like to be involved today with my teams because if they see you on the front lines with them, they're going to say, hey, my job is important. I better work my butt off because he's here doing the same thing. And so it's totally true. And I think, you know, there's too many managers or directors out there who say, oh, I've earned my keep and I can just sit in my office and put my feet on the desk. No, you you want to be successful. You got to get out there and roll up your sleeves with everyone else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Years and years ago, I worked in, well, I had clients. We worked in advertising in the real estate world. There was a big, big company down in San Diego that we worked with. I mean, it'd been around forever. They built, they built major freeways and roadways around town. And uh, the patriarch there was a very interesting, charismatic guy. And I remember going to a meeting there to present some marketing materials we were creating. And he was walking down the hall and he bent over and picked up a piece of trash and and uh, I, I was a young kid and I thought, wow, well, like the top dog is picking up trash in the hallway. And he turned around. And he, I must have had an expression. He said, you're probably surprised that I did that. And I said, well, OK, I'll take the bait. And he said, uh, you know, if uh, the leader isn't willing to do what, let's say, the person, the like janitor or somebody whose maintenance is willing to do, how would you expect anyone else to have any care for, for the facility or the business otherwise? And it really stuck in my head. I'm still talking about it today, right? Yeah, I do that here. Um, I do the same thing. I mean, and people have mentioned that. And, and again, it's people will get energized by and, and follow you if you do the things that, you know, may be perceived as being over, you know, um, what's the right word, uh, below you, mm. but they're not. Right. You know, any strong team is only as strong as their weakest link. And so if you have a strong team and everyone plays a critical role, no matter who they are, it's important for them to feel wanted and feel like they are included. Right. There's, we're going to talk about books in a minute here, but there's a book that this conversation brings to mind by Simon Sinek. You're probably familiar with it called Leaders Eat Last. I've heard of it. I haven't read it. I haven't read it, though. You will like this book. The subhead is why some teams pull together and others don't. And of course, Simon Sinek, I love that guy. He's done some great things. I like his TED Talk about why, why we do things, why companies do things. But I think you'll enjoy that book. But before we get to books, we're going to keep talking about cars here. And I would love for you to share a special vehicle that's been in your life. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, I, I've always loved cars. Um, I have to have a new one like every three or four years. Oh, you're one of those. Is, yeah, I used to be one yeah, of those guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's not a very good hobby. <laughs> well, have. well, they always say it's not the most economically savvy thing to do, but you know what? I'll put my both my hands up. I did that for years. Every three years, yeah. a new car. Yeah, yeah, it was just fun, you know? It, it is. It is. And you get to enjoy them and then move on to the next one. But yeah. if I had to pick one, uh, I'd probably say it's my current car. I have an Audi RS5. Ooh, nice. I like and those. Yeah, and it's for some reason it's really super shiny. Um, it has a it has a ceramic coating, but you know I've had black cars. I've always had black. Cars. Oh, it's a black. Oh, right. you're one of those. You're a brave man. I I couldn't own a black car. I just I'd go crazy. I'm such a clean freak. <laughs> Almost all my cars have been black. Wow, and living up here in the Northwest, you're even more brave. <laughs> yeah, I know yeah. people say that, but but anyway, so this one is like super shiny for some reason. So I love it. But anyways, a couple weeks after I got my car. I was driving home with Karen and it was a 
you know, nice, beautiful, sunny day. And I pulled up the stoplight and this guy in a really tricked out Camaro ZL1 pulled up mm-hmm. next to me. You know, and he started revving his engine <laughs> and lurching his car forward, yeah. right? Egging me to, to race him. And, you know, he had tinted windows, so I couldn't really tell or see him. Um, but I just looked at Karen and laughed. And then when the light turned green, he took off like a rocket, sure. you know, and I just drove off like normal. But at the next stoplight, um, I could tell he still wanted to, to, to race because he did the same thing, but more aggressively, right? He was really revving his engine up. So there was no one else on the road. It was pretty straight. I thought, why not see how fast my car could go? Uh oh. So I turned, took the bait. I turned to Karen. <laughs> I did. I did. I know it's bad. I turned to Karen and said, hold on. So I put it in a sport mode. And when the light turned green, I floored it and I left him in the dust. <laughs> you know, he was probably surprised. And it was so, yeah, he was probably surprised. It was a little loud. He blew his doors off. And, you know, I only did, I only floored it for a little bit because, you know, I, I'm not, and to your read, to your listeners out there, uh, I'm not a advocate of road racing. It's dangerous. I said, have more constraint than I did and don't do it. Don't get egged on. Exactly. Yeah. I love those cars. Yeah. They're really light and they have, I mean, 444 horsepower. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So it's got some gap go. You know, those cars to me, I've I've had four BMW M3s and that car is mm. kind of an equivalent, although you've got more horsepower. They kind of look the same in a way. They have that nice kind of squatty, aggressive look. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I know why you like that thing. So I'm a bit of a certified car psychologist. You may not know that about me, Gary, but now you do. <laughs> I'm going to crawl into your head. So lay back on the psychologist's couch here and think about this. If you were reincarnated or manifest as a vehicle, not what you want to be, though. This is you as a vehicle, your personality. Uh-huh. What would you be and why? Oh, wow. Um, I probably would be the new Ferrari SUV. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, because it, it, it can do so many things. Fast, it's beautiful, fun, uh, badass, and it can and you can haul a few things. Although I'm not sure I would want to haul in that car, but he could. And I think it kind of kind of embodies who I am in my career because I think one of the things reasons why I've been successful is because I have a number of strengths, not just one. So you know, I like to manage people. I know how to effectively market things. And I have a knack for managing numbers and money. So it's kind of that hybrid do everything car. Mm-hmm. Plus, I think I look good, yeah. but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Karen tells me so. She says that so. Is that the, that's the, I think it's called, it's got a strange name, the Purisang? Purisang? Yeah, pure, that's, uh, that's what I guessed. I, I, wasn't going to try to pronounce it, yeah, but yeah. I think if I recall, I may be sorry, sorry for if I'm saying that wrong, but yeah, it's interesting to me how all the major manufacturers, and I just had a couple of weeks ago a past Ferrari Formula One guest on the show, uh, Stefan Johansson, who raced for Ferrari F1 and uh, McLaren, drove uh, for Porsche to victory at Le Mans. He's an IndyCar racer. He's an artist now, but I asked him what his daily driver was, and he loves Ferraris because he raced for them, but he says it's a Maserati SUV. So, uh, you know, it's uh, SUVs are 
they're everywhere now. And some of these things, you talk about the Porsche GTS, uh, Cayenne GTS or Macan GTS, things are rocket ships. So, uh, yeah, haven't seen the new Ferrari yet. I'll, I'll look forward to when I when I see one of those. Well, I mentioned books early on, and we love books. Is there a particular book that you might share that you learned a lot from? I'm not a huge book reader, but the a book that I recently read I really liked is Boys in the Boat. Mm, okay, you read that one. It's a it's a great book. It's a, about the amazing story of um, the rowers at the University of Washington. Right that uh, went and competed in the 1936 Olympics and beat the Germans. And it really, I mean, most of the story is about one of the, one of the rowers, Joe Rant. And man, this, this guy, if you think you ever had a hard life, young man, what, it's amazing he was able to accomplish anything for all the obstacles he had to overcome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it, is, it is an amazing book. That's by... Uh, Author's name Brown, I think. Dan Brown? Yes. Daniel Brown. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's a really great book. It's one of those books, um, uh, and there's been several out by either military folks that have overcome hardship from being in POW, POW camps or, you know, who knows what. But it's one of those books that will really inspire you and make you realize. I don't think I really have it so bad <laughs> compared to right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great book to read and very uh, invigorating and, and leaves you feeling pretty good at the end. I think so. Uh, it's been a long time since I read it, but uh, yeah, that's a that's a good book. I think it was the '30s Olympics, like you said, thirty-five, thirty-six, somewhere in that era. Yeah, I can't remember. It's either either. Yeah, thirty-two or thirty-six. I think yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, I think it was thirty. Um, I think it was thirty-six. I just remember thirty-two because that's the year my dad was born. So, I think it was the thirty. Yeah. I think you're right with thirty-six. Thirty-six Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You know, just to read how these lumberjack boys, you know, who never rode before, <laughs> overcome so many, you know, hurdles and obstacles to become proficient in rowing. Tremendous. So I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive. I'm going to park any car, any car in the world in your garage. You can take it for a drive with anybody, including somebody that's no longer with us. So somebody from the past. So maybe you wanted to take your great, 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 I think it was five greats, samurai grandfather. <laughs> that would be an interesting ride. Uh, what does the ultimate drive look like for you if I'm footing the bill and the dream? Well, I mean, yeah, the, my great, 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 whatever grandfather would be great, but he didn't speak English, so I wouldn't be able to converse with them. Yeah. I can't speak Japanese. Okay, but um, I think yeah, I, I would say I would um, I would want to take a ride with Bruce Lee. Okay, in a Lamborghini Aventador. Mm. It's it's been that that car has just kind of always intrigued me. That's a that's a rocket ship car. It's like a jet fighter. And I think, of course, I'd be driving because you can't you got to drive a car like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I'd probably, you know, want to ask him what his life was really, really like, what motivated him that, you know, truly motivated him versus what we've read. That would be very fascinating. Very cool. Well, whatever you, wherever you'd be driving, you'd be driving fast. That's for sure. So <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. What a wonderful ride that would be. Interesting. I don't think anybody has chosen Bruce Lee. So there's a first there, which is pretty cool. You've taken us on a wonderful ride today. And I want to thank you, Gary, for taking a little pit stop with me here and, and sharing your visions and your thoughts about uh, the America's Car Museum and everything that is there to offer. Before I let you go, could you share maybe some words of inspiration or wisdom with us? Um, sure. I think it's always important to surround yourself with positive people. 
I think, you know, because uh, negative people, you know, who are kind of woe is me, they take a lot of energy away from you. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, to try to, to align yourself with positive people, always push yourself to keep learning because we can't grow if we're not challenging ourselves. You know, one of the things I, I realized too is that, well, I think I'm the smartest one. I'm not. And so you need to always be open to other people's ideas because that's where great ideas are created when you combine people's thoughts and, and visions. And then one of the things I learned too is to be willing to take calculated risks. When early in my career, I was so focused on trying to be perfect that I ended up not doing things because I was fear of failing. And, you know, it's worse to not try than to fail while trying. And so and my advice to people is, is go for it. You know, if you fail every once in a while, pick yourself up, learn from it, grow from it. That's how you learn. Yeah. So, yeah. You brought up a great memory. My dad, I really wanted to to learn to go surfing and I'd spent time in the ocean, grew up in Southern California and I finally saved up my paper out money, bought a surfboard, went to the beach and the waves were a little big and I was a little spooked and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't go out. My dad said, you know what? He said, if you don't go out, you'll never forgive yourself. This is your chance for your first time surfing. He said, I think what you're dealing with here is fear. And I was like, oh, my dad's calling me afraid, you know? And he said, but you know what fear stands for, Mark? I said, what? He said, false evidence assumed real. And mm, good I've one. always remembered that. Yeah, he said, you think you're going to fail, but you might go out there and have fun, so go for it. And the other thing you brought to mind is a great quote that is, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So surround yourself with good people. So mom was right. Don't mm -hmm. hang out with losers, right? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. That's a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I haven't heard that before, so. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. How can people learn more about LeMay America's Car Museum? Yeah, go to our website, which is uh, americascarmuseum.org, like you mentioned. We also uh, have a Facebook and Instagram pages. You can get that information on our website as well. Uh, I'm personally, I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me through LinkedIn. Absolutely. I'll put all those links on Gary's show notes page, but they're easy to find. Just type LeMay Car Museum or America's Car Museum or it'll pop up, I promise you. And if you're in the Pacific Northwest, you'll have to go and visit Gary and his wonderful team. And I want to do a shout out to your one of your colleagues there, Jake, who uh, got us together today. I met Jake uh, when he first joined your organization. He's been a guest on the show, so you can go back and listen to Jake Alshid's story as well. So Gary... Thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and sharing your story with us. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you at America's Car Museum. Thank you, Mark. I enjoyed it. You're welcome. This was fun. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!